Father, we want to thank you tonight, Lord. We thank you for taking care of us, Father, during our just during the uh, the course of our of our days, Lord, as we uh, as we walk with you, as we walk in fellowship together, as we rub shoulders with the with the world, we just thank you, Father, that uh, that your Holy Spirit is always uh, with us and and indwells us and guides us, comforts us and uh, and nudges us in uh, in the right direction always, Father. And we we thank you for that grace. We thank you, Father for the opportunity to meet together. Lord, and we thank you for uh, for the sweet fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us through your word tonight, Father. Teach us and and and, and give us good truth and and a a persuasion and a realization in our mind as to the the reality of the truths that are here in your word, Father that we might rejoice in them and live in them to your glory. We pray in the name of our Savior and Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 8. We were in around verse, uh, verses 28 and 29 and 30 last time. Why don't we uh, pick it up there with verse 28. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us... Who can be against us? Now, let's stop there. I'd like to get down through the passage tonight. But um, just by way of uh, picking up where we left off, we talked a lot last week about predestination and uh, the things that Paul talks about there in uh, verses 29 and 30. And we spent a lot of time talking about what predestination is not and kind of uh, trying to get a, get a better perspective on some errors that are out there. But the um, the point that Paul is bringing out here in this passage as a whole is that we are in fact uh, predestinated. We are foreknown by God. We have been uh, called. And because those things don't mean what some people make them to mean, doesn't mean that they're meaningless. We, we, in fact, have been predestinated. Our destination is fixed. It's fixed by God. He has set the course, and, uh, and He has set the end. So much so, as a matter of fact, that He speaks of it um, all in, in terms of being past tense. In verse 30 there again, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Now, our glorification, for you and me, all of those things, the predestination, the calling, the justification, are past tense in our lives. But the glorification for us is future. But the verse doesn't speak of it in future terms. It speaks of it in past tense terms. You remember what uh, Paul said back in chapter 4. Look back there. When he was talking about Abraham, 
And he says to Abraham, Behold, I have made thee a father of many nations. Well, he hadn't made him that yet. All he did was he made the promise. And Paul tells us here in in chapter 4, verse Pick it up in verse 16. Therefore it is of faith, 4.16, that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the... uh, um, the way that God works this thing, it's, it's of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure. So the, the, uh, the, the, the promise is as good as done. And he goes on, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. See, God tells Abraham not just, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, but before, he, um, uh, before the promise came to pass, he says, I have made thee a father of many nations, uh, calling those things which be not as though they were. That's how sure the, the, uh, the promise is. And that's Paul's point back in chapter 8 when he says, that those whom he justified them, he also glorified. He's calling uh, that thing which is not as if it were. And the, the, the reason for it is because the, the theme and the context and the point that Paul is trying to get across here is this issue of predestination. This issue of our absolute assurance that we are uh, on that path that God called us to and that path has an end, and we're going to make it to that end. And what, what Paul is doing here at the end of chapter 8 is he's kind of um, concluding a, a larger theme that he began uh, way back in chapter 5. He's been talking since chapter 5 about uh, our eternal security, and then in the light of that eternal security, how we are to walk and to live and the doctrine by which we uh, grow and, and walk to the glory of God. Well, now he's bringing us back again to our assurance, to our security. And, and now he's talking about it in terms of the predestination of God and the purpose of God and the will of God and all those things that we looked at last week that this is God's plan it's God's program that we're involved with it's it's not just that uh, that God loved us and wanted to see good things for us it is that but it's not just that it's that God has a plan for himself and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we said last week, the point uh, of our being conformed to the image of His Son in verse 29 is that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And Paul is pointing us to the Lord and telling us that this is His purpose. It's what He has foreordained. It's what He has predestinated. And that what that does is it takes the um, 
it, it, it takes the, the, the self-doubt out of this equation, entirely out of the, the Christian equation. There is no place for, uh, for concern that I'm going to screw this up somehow. Because this isn't my plan. And I didn't set it up to begin with. I didn't, um, I didn't set this thing in motion. I didn't uh, put myself on the path. You know, we were talking last week about, about that ship and, and, and predestination. And a, uh, someone will come along and say, well, okay, what you're saying is that, one, that, that you're predestined once you make the choice. You become predestined. And yes, that is exactly how it is. Once you're put into Christ, you become predestined because Christ is predestined. But then they say, well, then what you're saying is that you can take the credit for your salvation because you made the choice. So you can be up there in heaven with your thumbs in your suspenders talking about how wonderful and how smart and how intelligent you are because you made that choice and you can take the credit for your salvation. But listen, you didn't create the path. You didn't build the boat. You were standing there on the shore waiting for the storm to come and destroy you. That's, that's where you were going. You made a choice. The, the, you were drowning. The lifeguard came, dove in, swam out after you, and you grabbed onto his neck for out of, out of desperation. That's what you did. And then you're going to come back and he's going to pull you back to the shore and save you. And then you're going to get up and say, oh, I'm a hero here because I grabbed onto his neck. Well, that's just ridiculous. You didn't, you didn't provide salvation for yourself. It was provided for you and me. And then we were given a choice. Are you going to take it or are you not? And when we realized that we were drowning, we grabbed for it. It was more instinctual than it was intellectual. So the... Uh, the point being that it wasn't us to start with. It, it, it wasn't us to start with. It is not us along the way, and it's not us who are going to, to, to take it out to the end. This is God's plan. It's God's program. He is the driving force. He's the initiator. He's the creator. He's the inventor. He planned it. He foreknew it. He foreordained it. He predestinated it. He's bringing it to pass. He's moving it forward, and He is going to bring it to the end. You and I were invited to to take the ride, but the but the train's going to end up where it's going to end up. That's that that's what Paul is is kind of bringing us to in this kind of kind of conclusion to the to to that larger thought that that started back there in uh, chapter five and has been running through uh, chapter six, seven, and eight. So. Moreover, verse 30 again, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. And that, that word called there too. We talked last week about, about how being called, you're called by the gospel. 
Paul says he called you by our gospel. And the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. But again, we, we said that to kind of um, counterbalance the, the, the errors that are out there about this issue of being called. But now, let's talk about what that means. Being called is not a generic term. You say, well, if you're called by the gospel, everyone's called by the gospel, so, so everybody's one of the called. No. Again, like being foreknown. God foreknew you. Well, doesn't God, didn't God foreknow everybody? Well, he, he knew about them, but he didn't foreknow them in the sense that he foreknew you and me. Being called is the same way. Turn over a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. Take a look. Just because you are called by... There is a general call of the gospel doesn't mean that being part of the called is not something special. It is. It, it, it puts you in a position of favor with God, of inescapable favor with God. First um, Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse 26. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, uh, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. So now there, the called is not everybody, is it? Not many wise men after the flesh are called. Well, what does that mean? They don't get the gospel preached to them? No, of course they do. But they don't answer the call. They don't become one of the called. See, there's a difference there. Paul started out the book of Romans uh, uh, addressing himself to the saints that are at Rome, the called of Jesus Christ. That's not everybody. That's us. That's those who answer the call. And we've talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 1 before. We won't go all into it now, but that issue there of being chosen, Paul's talk, if you read the passage, Paul's talking about God's plan of salvation and the gospel. How that the gospel is designed to, uh, to reach out to the weak and to the humble and to the base, and, and not to the mighty, and the strong, and the powerful. The gospel, it, he talks about it being the weakness of God, back up in, in verse uh, 20, 21, 22. The foolishness of God. See, the gospel, God's plan of salvation is designed to, as the Bible says, as, as Peter quotes uh, the psalmist, resist the proud, and give grace to the humble. That's what the gospel is designed to do.
So it's not that God chose this person and skipped over that one and chose that one and skipped over that one. God predestinated and He chose uh, and He ordained and He put into motion this plan of salvation. And as it works itself out, we can look around and see that the intelligentsia and the elite and the and the powerful uh, of the world are generally not those who uh, we find r- rubbing shoulders with in the pew. It's regular regular schmoes like you and me, right? We're not offended by that, are we? Back in uh, in chapter eight. So, but the point there being in the passage that there are some people who are not considered the called, even though the gospel is to whosoever will. You become one of the called when you answer the call. So them that he uh, predestinated, he also called. Them that he called, he also justified. See, not everyone who hears the gospel is justified. It's the called who are justified. Uh, And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So this is a done deal. This thing is done. We're, We're there. We're as good as there. What shall we then say to these things? What do we say to these things? Amen. Yay. That's right. We say yay. If God be for us, who can be against us? We can just take that one home with us, can't we? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if you're walking down the street and you've got God walking next to you, who are you afraid of? What can anybody do to you? What can anybody do to you? The Lord told His folks there, He says, don't be afraid of them that can only kill your body. (laughs) You fear Him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. What, What can they do to you? All they can do is kill you. You think about that. All they can do is kill you. They can't do anything. They can't harm you. Not a hair of your head. All they can do is kill you. That's the perspective that Paul has taken here, and he bears it out as the passage goes on. But this is the this is the perspective that we need to take. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now again, we're going just like we did back in chapter 5. We're going from the greater to the lesser. You remember when back in chapter 5 when he said um, that, that if when we were sinners Christ died for us, well now much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. by. If he did the greater, he's going to do the lesser. Well, that's, we're, we're back full circle now to that idea. If God didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, and go down through this passage and and see how many times that phrase, for us, uh, uh, appears through here. Uh, If God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, Back up in in chapter 26, the... uh, the Holy the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. 
which groanings with groanings which cannot be uttered. And in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Down in, in verse 34 at the end there, uh, who also maketh intercession for us. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. God is for us in this passage. He's on our side. He wants to see and is going to see us um, grow. He's going to see us take on that that truth and that doctrine that we learned in chapter 6 and and 7 and 8. You think to yourself, well, you know, my eternal glory has to do with how much I'm willing to suffer. And now, okay, well, I don't have to worry about losing my salvation, but now what about my position out there in heaven? Because I don't like suffering all that much. And I, and you know, maybe I haven't been the best Christian, you know, that I that I should have been all all this time. And when I get up to heaven, I don't I don't know that I'm going to get too much. Well, listen, what Paul is talking about here is exactly those things. God is moving us. He that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have this confidence. And that's what Paul's talking about here. We don't have to worry not only about our salvation, but we don't have to worry about that glorification out there. It's already done. That's the, that's the, uh, the mindset and the approach that's going to get us there is knowing that it's God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And that His whole plan is designed to get us there. We are predestined to that glory. The plan is designed to get us there. So we don't have to, uh, we don't have to fret and, and fear. We have not received the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God is apprehending us for that that we are also apprehending. He's for us. He's on our side. He's going to see us get there. And as we trust Him to do it, that's how it happens. So it is... uh, it is uh, defeating our own good and, and working against God's purpose for me to say, I'm just not, uh, I'm just not the material that, that God is looking for to glorify out there. I'll get to heaven by, by, by the grace of, of God and by the blood of Christ, but I'm just going to be, a, you know, I'm going to be, you know, Shoveling up after the after the horses of fire up there or something. I'm just not going to have a good uh, a good position. Well, that's that's not that's not trusting God and what He has for you. You got to know what you've got coming out there because He is moving us in that direction. If God be for us, who can be against us? Can I be against myself? Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. But if God is for me, even I can't be against me. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now he's talking about the uh, uh, 
the, the spiritual blessings that, that uh, God has given to us. Come, come over to 1 Corinthians again in chapter 2 this time. When he, when he talks about all things like that, you, uh, he tells the Corinthians that, that you possess all things. He talks about himself as uh, having nothing and yet possessing all things. When he, when he speaks in those terms, when, when God uh, in, in this uh, mystery portion of his scripture speaks in those terms, he's talking about those, uh, those spiritual blessings that we have presently and that we will have in the in the ages to come. First uh, Corinthians in chapter two verse five uh, four. That's a good running start, but we'll do it. First Corinthians uh, two four. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose, that mystery purpose. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Romans chapter 8, Paul said, The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, because he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. So the Father is searching the hearts, and he uh, sees and knows the mind of the Spirit. Here, the Spirit in us is searching God, is searching the Father. And he knows all things that are, that, that are in the Father's mind. So we have that two-way uh, communication of God with God, God in heaven with God in us, the Holy Spirit in us, and that, and that communication going back and forth so that God's mind is being communicated from me to God and that God's mind is being communicated from God to me. You see how that, uh, how that interaction works there and how it's Him that's doing it. How it's about Him and His power and His ability and His sufficiency. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, just like Romans chapter 8. We have received not the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the Spirit of adoption. Here, Paul says, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? 
that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The, the, the Holy Spirit is here to that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See, that's the the all things that are freely given to us of God. It's those spiritual things. It's those things that have to do with the mystery. He says, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, the wisdom of God in a mystery. What things? Verse 13, which things, those things that are freely given to us of God, also we speak. It's the same thing. The things that are freely given to us of God are the things that we learn about when we learn about the mystery. Those spiritual uh uh, blessings, those all things. Remember if, uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 10 in the dispensation of the fullness of times. The, what is the end? What is the purpose? What is the mystery of, of, of God's will? He's made known unto us the mystery of His will that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one what? All things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about all the spiritual blessings that God's given to us. He's talking about things present. He's talking about things to come. He's talking about our acceptance in Christ. He's talking about our justification and our edification and our, and our future glorification and our past salvation and, and, and all of those things that God has given, continues to give, and will continue to give to us for all of eternity. He that delivered up his own son, back in Romans 8, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the, the point being that, that those things that we're looking forward to, those, those, aren't, those aren't carrots that God dangles before us on a stick and says, here, you know, try harder, try harder, try harder. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you'll get it. These are things that God wants and plans and has foreordained that we should have. Now, does our current behavior have to do with how, how much and the level of that we're going to get? Yes, it does. But our current behavior is, is, happens and is empowered and is spurred on by knowing that it's not me, it's Him. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him, with Christ, also freely give us all things? We're going to get all things with Christ. That's what He said earlier in the chapter. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who's going who's to bring it? You know, over there in Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser in chapter 12, the accuser of the brethren is cast down who accused them before God day and night. 
And you know, depending on how literally you want to take that, and if you want to uh, uh, see that happening in this dispensation, myself, I don't know. Um, but you've got the devil standing there in front of God and essentially pointing down at you and saying, look, at, look what he's doing. Look what she's doing. Look at that. Look at that. They're, he's sinning. There's, look at, and, and God is looking down and he's seeing his son. Perfect and righteous. And he looks at the devil and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see that. And Satan gets frustrated and he says, look! And God says, I'm looking. I'm looking at my perfect son. What is your problem? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Whom he's foreknown, he predestinated. Whom he predestinated, he called. And whom he called, he justified. So who is going to lay anything to our charge? It's God that decides who gets charged and who doesn't, and He has decided that we don't. That's not a bad deal. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who, who can condemn us? Who is the only one who can condemn anybody? It's Jesus Christ, and He's sitting at the, at the right hand of the Father on our side. He is the, uh, uh, the advocate. His Father's the judge. Now, that's a pretty good deal right there to start with. I got, an, I got a lawyer whose Father is the judge. So that works out pretty good for me. The lawyer's on my side. The judge is on my side. I can't lose. And I won't make any jokes about him being a Jewish lawyer. But I've, I've got the... the uh, my, my bets are hedged. The, the thing is tipped in, in my favor by the grace of God. Who's going who's gonna to come against me under those, under those circumstances? Nobody. Nobody. Now that, uh, that thing there... Uh, now, you want to notice that back up in verse 26, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. But in verse 31, God, that's the Father, is for us. In verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, is making intercession for us. So the whole Trinity is behind this thing. God the Father is for you. God the Son is for you. God the Holy Spirit is for you. And they're not only for you in heart, like you and me sitting on the sidelines and saying, I'm rooting for you, go ahead, but I can't really be of much help. I hope you run fast. They're working for us. They're moving, they're doing things for us to, 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 to bring us uh, to the end of this purpose for which you and I have been called. 
So, and, and the Son makes intercession for us. Now that doesn't mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has been doing nothing for the last 2,000 years but sitting there and praying and, and, and saying, well, Father, I know He did that, but He's really not so bad, and give Him a break, and, 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 and that kind of thing. The Lord Jesus Christ makes intercession for us by being there, by being the propitiation for our sins. He makes intercession for us in the, in the sense that God, when he, God looks at us, He looks through Christ. So Christ is our intercessor. He is the, the mediator. He's the one that stands between. So when we are seen of the Father, we are seen in Christ. So Christ, the book of Hebrews says, ever liveth to make intercession. And therefore, he can save his people to the uttermost. Because he will always be there. We will always be in Christ. And he will always be our intercessor, our mediator. So he, the one who condemns, is on our side. And he makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. You ever get into a into a bad state in your life and feel like the love of God is kind of kind of far away? Paul says those things can't separate us from the love of Christ. Well, and he's and he's kind of he's talking about. Uh, some of those everyday kinds of sufferings he talked about earlier in the chapter and those, uh, those active things that Satan and the world come after us with just because we're Christians. And he's kind of going back and forth between those things. Who's going to separate us? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword... Whether it's a, a natural thing, whether it's a, 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 a time and chance, consequential uh, uh, kind of a thing, that uh, common temptation that comes on all men, or whether it's a persecution issue, even to death. The sword is not, you know, somebody, you know, poking you and, uh, you know, teasing you and trying to make you feel bad. That's somebody running you through. All of that can't separate us from the love of Christ. So here's what that means. To me, that means two things right, right off the bat. Number one, it means that when things are, are going awful, terrible in my life, the love of God and God Himself is no further away than He was when things were going great. And if I feel that He is, then it's time for me to set my feelings aside and operate on the basis of the doctrine that I know, not my emotions, and, and, and because God feels more distant. So, so that's one. Secondly, it tells me that those things are not the punishment of God because I did, must have done something horrible. Why is this bad stuff happening to me? It must be because God's angry with me or He's disappointed with me uh, or He's separated Himself from me or He's somehow uh, uh, taking retribution on me. Those things, uh, when, the, when those horrible things, when the bad things happen in my life, that does not separate me. 
in in truth, in uh, in in pretext, in my mind, in God's mind, in any way, from the love of Christ. Those things have nothing to do with one another except that the love of Christ sustains me through them. That's the only connection. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? You ever been in distress? You ever been in tribulation? Persecution? Famine? Now, I've never been in through a famine. I've been hungry, but I've never been through a famine. Paul says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Here he says, even in famine and nakedness. Well, that's not food or raiment, is it? And yet, peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. Why are we more than conquerors? I can, you know, I can work my mind into such a, a, a Zen state that, that I can keep those things from crushing me and from defeating me. If I'm just a person in the world out there, if I had that skill, I could do that, and I, and I suppose that would make me a conqueror. But how do you get to be more than a conqueror? You get to be more than a conqueror when not only are these things not defeating you, but they're working for you. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. These Not only are these things not for to your detriment, they're toward your good. And not only are they toward your good, they're toward your glory. They are, they are working like the Holy Spirit is working, like the Father is working, like the Son is working. He has fixed it so that even the, 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 the distresses and the tribulations and the sufferings of this world are working. Everything and everyone who matters is working for us to bring us, to push us, to, to lead us, to apprehend us to that end that God has called us to. So in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We don't just defeat tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We don't just come out on top of those things. Those things raise us up. And we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. You remember Abraham was persuaded that what God hath promised he is able also to perform. Paul says, I have faith. He's not saying, you know, this is my opinion, guys, and I'm, and I'm really sure of it. He's saying, I know. Now, how about you? Are you persuaded? That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. How do we know when we get out to heaven out there that maybe we're not going to screw it all up and sin like Adam did? He was perfect and he messed it up. How do we know that we're going to go forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never 
maybe a chance down there billions of years in the future we might screw it up Paul says no things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord now listen if you can come through this passage and number one think that it's possible in any way shape matter or form to lose your salvation you haven't read the passage but really losing your salvation just like salvation to begin with is only the starting point you get the eternal security as a starting point what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about that glorification out there he's talking about obtaining the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory that's the point of the passage and that's what he's talking about here that angels and principalities and powers the devil can't make you do it the devil is not going to uh, is not going to keep you from from that end and things present and things to come and life isn't going to keep you and death isn't going to keep you or height or depth you notice height or depth or any other creature height and depth are creatures he's talking about those again principalities and powers Ephesians chapter 6 the uh, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places the rulers of the darkness of this world that's what he's talking about height or, or depth or any other creature including my next door neighbor including my government including myself including my family members no other creature is going to be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and remember it's that love of God that, that delivered up Christ for us that is now working to freely give us all these things that Paul's talking about. That's the context here. Our salvation is secure back there in chapter 5. This we've come now full circle, not just to the security of our salvation, but to the security of our glorification. Now again, you say, I thought that had to do with my behavior. Listen, it has to do with your behavior as you trust God to accomplish all of the, these things on your behalf. We're predestined to that glorification. That's the purpose of God for us. He's moving us toward that, toward that end. And we can rejoice in that. He, he decided before the foundation of the world that that's where we were going to end up. So that's where we're going to end up. We're done. Long overdue. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Father, just like our salvation, Lord, if you had left our glorification up to us, up to our abilities and performance and and zeal Lord none of us would get there but Father I thank you that uh, just as you worked it all 
to our salvation, you also work it all to our glorification. Father, I pray that we would only know it and that we would follow that leading of the Holy Spirit as we walk through this life that, uh, that in the end we would know and rejoice together in that predestined purpose that you have for us. We thank you for moving us together toward that end. In our Savior's name, amen.